Our Old Testament reading comes to us from Lamentations 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for one to bear the yoke in youth, to sit alone in silence when the Lord has imposed it, to put one's mouth to the dust, there may yet be hope, to give one's cheek to the smiter and be filled with insults, for the Lord will not reject forever. Although he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he, had, when, when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. 
When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. First, uh, Giant, thank you, Corey. Uh, I feel like we've already had our sermon this morning. And everyone's saying, yeah, let's go home. It's rainy. Let's, uh, let's uh, pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we think on these uh, words of Scripture, this story uh, from the life of Jesus, that you'd give us understanding that we might be a community and individuals that know what it means for us to similarly walk by faith in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have to confess to you a couple of things this morning. The first is that I have a love-hate relationship with this hymn that we sang, How Sweet to Wait. Now, Bethany knows that I really love this hymn, actually, a whole lot. But here's the love-hate relationship. It's this. It's that first line, how sweet to wait upon the Lord while he fulfills his gracious word. And the love-hate is this, is that I feel a lot of times in life that there's a lot more waiting than fulfillment, at least the experience of. Can you relate to that? I mean, can, if you think about your life, can you relate to the tension of that, right? I mean, we live in this remarkable moment of knowing these stories of Jesus, of reading something like the gospel story that we've just, you just heard, and, and it's hard sometimes to, to enter into the joy of that story. This was a week where that happened for me. So we're sitting in our staff uh, time of reading the scripture, Uh, and talking about how we might approach the sermon, how we might be thinking about it for the week. And as we're talking about it, um, I'm just flooded with cynicism. Like, I mean flooded with cynicism. It was just one of those moments. I don't know if Jonathan and Chris could, like, see that on my face. I think they heard it in my voice because Chris would say something positive. You know Chris. He likes to say positive things. And I would just immediately sort of thrust my hand up and push back on, All of the ways that I could imagine how individuals that are either facing some acute experience, an emergency experience of disease or harm or loss, or how individuals that have lived with chronic pain or chronic illness over a long stretch of time, how they might hear a text like this. And almost immediately you're thinking, I want that, right? I mean, that's our impulse. But it's so easy for us in a world in which there's a lot of waiting that happens for the fullness of God's kingdom, right, that we can find ourselves sort of tipping toward or devolving toward despair, frustration, disappointment, doubt, uncertainty about God's love and his nearness, even cynicism that these promises actually mean a thing. You ever feel that way? That was my week. 
and how I started reading this particular text. And yet, this is a text that's in Scripture for us and for our benefit that we might actually be like the women in these stories in some way and follow Jesus in faith, that we'd, uh, you know, take up the faith of Jairus and follow Jesus in faith, you know, into the room of a dead girl, you know, a, a dead daughter, right? We, we would be persons who sort of hook our wagon to Jesus in very unique ways. So let's think about what this might mean for us as a community that struggles with the tension of living in the already and the not yet of God's kingdom come. So first I want to jump to the very end of the text. And there again, we have the stern warning of Jesus, right? We've seen this multiple times as we've gone through Mark's gospel that uh, you know, Jesus will do something remarkable, something amazing, something noteworthy, that if you were in the room experiencing it, the first thing you would want to do is just keep talking about it. But what does Jesus do? He says, shh, right? Be quiet. Don't tell anyone. And that feels so counterintuitive to our, our lives, and it certainly felt counterintuitive to them. But for Mark or for Jesus, what they're consciously likely aware of is that Jesus is a dangerous person in the world that is broken, in which power is wielded and held in very different ways. What happens if Herod finds out about this kingdom that's coming in Jesus? Or maybe a different kind of problem is operative in Jesus' desire to keep us quiet and thinking. And it's just this, that when you see something remarkable in Jesus, or you experience something remarkable in any leader, what do you want to do? You and I tend to box them in to that one solitary experience. We want to halt the story and just hang out in that particular space. But what Jesus knows and what he wants is to reveal the fullness of God's love. And as in, in the gospel story, that fullness doesn't get revealed until he takes up the cross. And so these moments, these sort of punctuated moments of miracle and healing and, you know, feeding people, all of these punctuated, beautiful, grand moments, they don't have their fullness of revelation until Jesus actually dies a death on the cross and moves toward into resurrection. And so we're meant to sort of be coming to the real Jesus and not the Jesus that we sort of have our own imagination about or that people in that moment would sort of press in and say, this is what Messiah is. Jesus wants to reveal himself the way you want to reveal yourself. Do you like to be boxed in? Do you like for people to pigeonhole you? If you've had a bad or a rough spot with someone, if you think about the negative side of that, do you want them to release you from that rough spot so that you can grow up? You want to be a real person. And Jesus wants to reveal to us the true God. So the first thing I think we learn about faith, if you will, from this particular text, from the very end, from this place of secrecy, is that when you and I, uh, that, that faith, right, is the gift of our trust and our dependence on Jesus himself. And we let him be real with us. We encounter the real Christ. We look to the real Jesus. And that's one of the very first things I think this text uh, perhaps teaches us. But the second thing we need to think about here are the healing of these two daughters because that's the meat of this text, right? This is about healing of, of two women, of two daughters of Israel. Um, and this is another one of those instances in Mark's storytelling around Jesus' life in which he mashes up two events, right? Because it's two healings, uh, both of which are substantive. And you could look at 
both of them in some sort of depth. Um, but uh, but it's, a, it's a bit of a mashup, or it's what, what we've often referred to as the Mark sandwich, right? Mark likes to sandwich events. And so we start off with Jairus's story, the daughter, his daughter, the privileged daughter, if you will. And then we end up in the middle of the sandwich, right? The meat, the, the sort of delightful pieces of a sandwich, right? (laughs) Maybe you like bread as well, but you know, there there it is. You're in the sandwich, right? You're in the middle of this particular story, and there's the interrupting healing story, right? And this is the woman who, whose life for the last, for the duration of the young girl's life, 12 years, has lived with chronic illness, right? This is, this is her story, Uh, and she's not privileged. In fact, she's quite poor because it's likely it would seem that she's even been taken advantage of by, you know, medical quackery as you chase around cures, trying to find a way, a release from your situation. Her story is right there in the middle, and then we come back to the other story. So think about the first daughter first, Jairus's daughter. Who is Jairus? He's a leader of a synagogue, which would mean something like this. He's the moderator of the synagogue. He's the president of the synagogue. So if you sort of think about the, the sort of leadership order inside of this core community inside of Israel, right? This is where, if you're not a part of the Jerusalem temple worship, right, this is where worship happened for you. This is where you heard the scripture. This is how you learned to live your life as a faithful Jewish person in that context. Jairus is a very important person relative to that community of faith. Now, what do you know about the leadership, the establishment inside of Israel? That they're highly suspicious of Jesus. Why? Maybe it's because they know that if they entertain thoughts of someone who is talking about a coming kingdom of God that has in fact arrived that it would be politically disruptive. That, in other words, you know, those that you know, the eye of Sauron, right? It, it sort of turns here toward this particular synagogue, these people that are curious about Jesus. Maybe it's because they know that everything they're learning about Jesus' interaction feels really discordant with that which they know and have learned about faithful practice of the faith, right? Jesus. He does what? He eats with sinners and tax collectors. In other words, Jesus isn't afraid to be in proximity to all the wrong people. He gets near them, right? Uh, maybe it's because you've, you've heard the stories of, hey, this guy violates our Sabbath rule, right? He, he doesn't live in accordance with the rhythm of life that we understand God to call us to in terms of faithfulness. In other words, Jesus is a very disruptive figure inside of Israel. And for these faithful Jewish persons that are reading the scripture and trying to understand what it might mean for them to be faithful to God, how do they think about tagging their lives to Jesus? So here's Jairus. He's a privileged and powerful man. His daughter is therefore associated and linked and the beneficiary of that privilege and that power. So there you are, you're the leader of a synagogue. How are you gonna relate to Jesus? Your ordinary MO is gonna be to maintain some type of neutrality, right? Just non-committalness, you're curious, you're suspicious, but you're sort of holding things at bay until what? Your family's at stake. Your daughter 
is overcome with some type of illness that is going to end in death. You know this. She knows this. The people in the community know this. And for Jairus, this is where we pick up the story. And the first thing we see is he, the great man in Israel and in this synagogue, abases himself. He humbles himself. He falls down before Jesus and pleads, begs that Jesus would come to his home. Do you see what's happening in terms of reversal? He lets go of his own place of honor and enters a place of shame inside of the ordinary status of his community in order to honor Jesus. That's what he does. Faith, so not only stops boxing Jesus in and comes to the real Jesus, but faith in Jesus almost always, in fact, it always involves a letting go of whatever status quo form of finding peace in your life and in your world has held your heart and your life. Letting go of one form of peace in favor of attaching yourself to Jesus as the way in which God is actually bringing peace. And Jairus does that here. And then Jesus immediately begins to honor the prayer, the request, the begging, right? He gets up and he goes and he follows uh, Jairus toward his home. That's where he's going, and the crowds are pressing in on him. And this is where the interruption happens. This is where we end up in the center part of the story, right? The meat of the sandwich, if you will. The interrupting story of the second daughter, who is different in every way from Jairus' daughter. Different in every way. She's old, she's not young. She's chronically ill, not acutely ill. This is not an emergency condition. She is isolated and alone. Why? Because as a person in her community who was experiencing prolonged illness and disease, and particularly hemorrhaging, she would be required to live in isolation. Go to synagogue. You don't get out in the public. Because your life is ritually, you're unclean for this moment of your illness and your presence inside of community rubs off on the community itself. And so you live in isolation. Think about doing that for 12 years. You know, think about doing that for 12 years. Could you imagine just living in the isolation of your home and not even able to have much interaction with other people that live in your home? What do you do? You live a life of shame. You live a life of secrecy. You live a life in hiding. You're sort of hidden from view. And what happens to your psyche, your consciousness, as you sort of can't engage ordinary relational social rhythms? See, that's that woman. She's become poor. She's not wealthy. She's resourceless, not resourced. So imagine the scene. Jesus has accepted Jairus' invitation to go to his home. He's on his way. The crowds are sort of all there bumping up against Jesus. It's like, you know, you're in Times Square if you've ever been there, right? It's not a place that New Yorkers like, by the way. But, you know, you, you know you're in this crowd, and, 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 and there are people everywhere. And you're just crammed together, and Jesus all of a sudden sort of feels something. He senses something. He becomes aware of something, right? He says power has gone out for healing power has gone out from his body. You know, it's like, did you ever have those moments, you know, you're in your 
parents home or something and you're you're a young kid and you're scraping your feet across the carpet, you know, and then you touch your brother or your sister and it sparks, right? I don't, is that what it felt like? I don't know. But Jesus in this moment feels that something has happened. And so he asked this absurd question of who touched me? And I love the way Lynn was reading that because you can just imagine, right? That's exactly how the disciples or how those close to Jesus would respond. It's like, what the heck are you talking about? Everybody touched you. No, someone touched me. Someone touched me in faith. Someone touched me and brought their story to me. It's a unique moment. And Jesus is aware of the faith touch. Someone has engaged the power of his presence for their lives. And he's aware of it. However, secretly it happened, he is aware of it. Different in every way from the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus, this woman who lives with chronic medical condition in isolation has, of course, come out to Jesus alone and in secrecy so that no one would notice her. But Jesus notices her. Her story matters to Jesus. So Jesus calls her out. Who touched me? And the, the sort of lingering question there in this moment is, will she show up? You know, maybe she thought within the, the sort of religious system that she operated in that I'll just, I'll touch this great healer and I'll be healed and I'll go home and I'll wait my seven days, you know, and I'll show up at the temple and I'll offer my turtle doves and I'll be, I'll be restored to my community. But Je that's not the story Jesus is restoring her to because she's touched him. So Jesus calls her out, will she show up? Here's the question I have for myself and for you is, are there parts of your life that you'd just rather keep secret in the way you relate to Jesus? You just want to, you know, you're kind of like the woman. You, wanna, you want his healing touch, but you don't want to have to talk about the doggone story. Have you ever felt that way? Some dimension of shame in your life or some, something that you... You would just rather no one ever know about. And it's fine. I got the generic healing from Jesus. It's done. It's over with. That's kind of where we are in this woman's story. But Jesus beautifully knows that the healing is more than just the cessation of blood, right? She, she needs the body, of Christ. She needs community. She needs restoration to the public sphere. So he calls her out. He invites her to become known, to be seen, to be understood in the midst of the crowd. Imagine the moment if you're that woman. You don't even know how to be in public anymore. Yet she brings her story out of the shadows at great risk and with great fear. You can imagine maybe what she might be thinking in her mind. I mean, I, I can only imagine it, right? What would I be thinking in my mind in a moment like that? Is he going to be angry because I violated the Levitical laws? Is he going to be angry because I'm here in public and I shouldn't be? 
What's he going to say? Is he going to say, don't you know what you've done? You've made us all unclean. But what does Jesus say? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Look, I, I need to hear Jesus say that to me. And you need to hear Jesus say that to you. Faith in the real Jesus gives you the humility to let go of whatever you have previously hoped in, in order to hope in him. And to know that when you bring your story to him, the wholeness of your life to him, that your life, your story, is never, ever an interruption to Jesus. And it is always welcomed by his words, daughter, son, go in peace. The love of Jesus is a remarkable thing that he wants us to grasp and to understand. And then we're back on our way back to Jairus' house. Like the interruption happens, the, the meat of the sandwich is there, and then you're just on your way again, and we're going to Jairus' house. But the, the reality is that the girl seems to have died, right? And so the crowd, is, you know, there's been envoys that have come back and said, hey, she's dead. Don't bother the teacher. Don't bother Jesus, the rabbi, because she's passed, and there's nothing we can do anymore. And the professional mourners and wailers have sort of arrived. And why are they there? Because they're making a commotion so that the family that is deeply grieved can shout, can cry, and can weep with a sense of the distraction of all the other voices. They're there. And what does Jesus say to Jairus? Believe, have faith, keep going with me, hold on, right? Just keep going with me in faith. And he keeps going in faith. And he says to the professional mourners and all of these people, she's only sleeping. What a weird thing to say, you know? And we're left wondering, is she asleep? Is she dead? We don't know. But Jesus goes into the house with a small group of people, right? The mom, the dad, and some of his disciples. Just a small group are brought into the house. And Jesus, ever so tenderly, goes to the little girl and, and, and says to her, little girl, get up. Uh, have you ever awakened a child? <laughs> you know, you, you're so tender because you don't want to startle. Have you ever done that, right? You don't want to startle them because then they start crying and wailing. And, you know, you want to gently wake up the little child, right? Have you ever done that? Have, you know, um, have you ever wanted to be awakened gently, right, rather than in a startling way, you know, you know where you're jumping? Jesus is so tender in this moment, it's interesting, right? This is one of those, you know, there are a few places in the Bible where we're sort of, we don't like get things translated, right? So this is, we're left with the Aramaic, right? So it's one of those places where we're, you know, for whatever reason, Mark doesn't move the Aramaic language into Greek. He doesn't translate it into Greek. He leaves it. Why? You know, it's, it's more like that space when Jesus is facing his own death in the garden and we're left with the lingering word Abba. Daddy, Papa, what happens when you come upon a section of foreign language? <laughs> you slow down. 
And maybe you enter into this beautiful moment and you just have to slow down in this untranslated moment and you have to hear and experience and feel the gentleness of the Savior who with all compassion and with tremendous intimacy and presence between Jesus and the Father and between Jesus and the daughter just says, little girl, get up. Little boy, get up. See, faith brings us to the real Jesus. And faith, by faith, we let go of the old stories we've told about life in favor of the story that Jesus is telling about life. And by faith, we are sort of awakened to courage so that we actually show up in the story with Jesus, right? We bring our real selves to him. And by faith, we experience the intimacy of his nearness to our lives as he looks on you and he says, little child, get up. So what do we do with this? How do we pull this toward our own lives? And the question is just simply this, you know, where are you in your own faith journey this morning? And we've shown up, you lived your week too. And maybe you were cynical this week, maybe you had a little despair, maybe there were punctuated places of joy or laughter or a lot of hope, and, and you know, and tomorrow is gonna be your cynical day. Yeah. What have you shown up with this morning? And what does the journey of faith look like for you? And the question that I have is just very simply these questions of faith. You know, are you coming to the real Jesus? Or have you boxed him into some figment of your imagination? Are you open to his engagement with you? Or maybe you recognize that you're like, more like in that sort of Jairus space and you actually live with a sense of privilege in life and life seems to be working for you more or less. The narrative is playing out in a way that's happy for you. Maybe you need to let go of your privileged status and humble yourself before Jesus and recognize the peace that he brings is greater than the peace that you can get for yourself Honor what God is promising in and through Jesus, not what you want to demand of him. Maybe you need to show up differently in your life with Jesus. Stop doing it secretly. Let him know the real you. He can handle you. He can deal with the dark parts of your story. He can deal with the shameful parts of your story. He can deal with the guilty parts of your story. He can deal with the parts of your story that that you would just rather tuck away somewhere. Show up. Maybe what you need this morning is just that profoundly tender, tender call of Jesus when he looks on you and he says, little boy, little girl, get up. Come to the table and eat. Have some bread. Have some wine. And know the depth of my love. Our world is not the way God wants it to be, and we don't live in the world like sons and daughters awakened by his love. And so we have these gospel stories that call us out to faith so that as we linger around these words, we can come back to a hymn like How sweet to wait upon the Lord and repeat that fourth line with this this delightful prospect fired will run nor in in thy ways be tired and all the trials here we see will make us long to reign with thee. Amen. Our hearts with rapture cry. May we with reverence look so high. Ascended Savior fix our eyes. 
by faith upon this glorious prize. He loves you. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we continue to think and linger around these stories of faith and these stories of healing, that you would dispel cynicism and despair from us and help us to be individuals that just keep taking a next step of faith with Jesus. Fill us with joy and a sense of your love and tenderness toward us this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.